One, one item of housekeeping, I was asked to give uh, an update on our uh, search for the, the man the Lord would provide for us to fill our pastor of discipleship and music. Our search team continues to meet. They meet this week. Please be in prayer that God would provide the man that he wants. I was just looking on my phone. It was a year ago this week that a short quirky guy living in Michigan submitted his resume to a church in northern central Minnesota, and uh, here I am. So, well, that wasn't the response I was trying to elicit. Um, I'm trying to say I feel bad for you. No, I, but, but I, I do, even as we were singing that song, um, man, what a just a reminder of God's grace. And if he's answered prayer in the past, will he not answer it now? So we have many things to pray over, but please pray for our pastor of discipleship and music. It is good to worship with you. I'll ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures and turn to James chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 17. We continue our series, James, Faith in action. And our sermon title this morning is Your Confidence is Misplaced. So uh, please, as you're turning there to James 4, I, I can't help but even just think about the silliness of preaching in some ways. A broken man comes before a broken congregation and we say, God, would, would you give us something? Do you have something? Do you have something to meet me where I am right now? And I believe James 4 does. And as you're turning there, uh, I'd like to share with you a story that I read this week of a man named Brahim. Brahim is from Niger, and his life was marked by misplaced confidence in himself. It naturally was misplaced. His confidence was, that is. Because like us, he was born and brought into a broken world that naturally turns itself from God. And Brahim made plans in his life. With no consideration of God, fully self-sufficient in his own mind, and ultimately his plans, they bore consequences. Consequences that would put him in a prison cell in 2014 in the Sahara Desert. He was in prison there for three years, seeing other prisoners die in difficult conditions, until in 2017, he was met by a strange group of people. The prison was, uh, the prison was met by uh, Christians who volunteered to make improvements to this prison at no charge. So they installed fans, cut in windows, even improved the bathrooms so they could be clean. They shared the gospel the hope of Christ with men in prison. And Brahim had planned to live and go here and make money there. But the Lord willed that he'd be in a prison, hear the gospel, and that he would put his faith and trust in Christ. The Savior who forgives sins. The Savior who gives men and women new hearts. That was God's will for his life. Now, perhaps you haven't found yourself in a Saharan desert prison lately. I don't know what your week's been like, but it probably hasn't been that. 
But like Brahim, we've all experienced what Proverbs 16.9 declares. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And we may give a hearty amen to that on a Sunday morning. But do we practically, functionally, confessionally live as though it is the Lord who establishes our steps? Or, or do we wrongly believe and act as if we are the ones to establish them? In our passage today, Pastor James challenges not just our thinking, but our faith and action, our way of life. Our main action is this. Our main point is faithful followers of Christ confess dependence. This is not just the hallmark of a verse in Proverbs. This is the consistent teaching of the Scriptures, Old and New Testament. There is a human inability that we must wrestle with. And it has dramatic implications on how we live as Christians, as it relates to how we make plans, how we pray even, and who our ultimate trust and confidence is in. And like James has been doing in recent weeks, he lays out two ways, two realities, two paths in which you and I can follow as it relates to confidence. Would you consider with me first the confidence of self-sufficiency? Read with me verses 13 and 14. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So we have the hypothetical statement of an individual who's making plans for life. I'm going to go here and make some money and do this and that. And we have to ask, what is wrong with that? What is wrong with making plans? What is wrong with making money even? What is wrong with being an organized and an assertive person? Well, absolutely nothing. That's not the point here. Some in the first century, and even in our day today, they'll use these verses to argue that capitalistic ventures, owning a business, making a profit, those are all sinful and immoral. And let's be honest, any kind of greed in any kind of system is an issue. But capitalism is not the main point of this text either. Here's how one writer sums up the larger issue, the underlying issue of our passage. Quote, James is criticizing not the making of a prophet, but the godless presumption of one's life, the thinking of that life, future plans and successes rests on one's own hands. That's the issue. And I like for us to sit on that word for a moment, presumption. What kinds of presumptions is our individual making in verse 13? And what might you and I be presuming as we make plans and diligently scheme of our next steps in life? Well, verse 14, I think, gives us some answers. Let me find it. 
Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For your life is a mist that appears for a time and then vanishes. So there's some information here. Verse 14 seems to tell us that we presume we will live as long as we please. We will go. I will do. We often push aside the biblical reality of our frailty. And there's some gray heads in here. You think that's only a young person's problem. It's not. As you get older, you may feel the pains of death around you in your own failing health. And you may have better categories of how life is a vapor. However, young and old alike, we all make presumptions. Every morning on the breath in our lungs, the breath that will surely get us through the day. We presume and we live and operate on a daily basis that presumes much of our physical life and the physical lives of those around us. But we also presume that the choice is ours in the planning. Notice again in verse 13, the individuals making the presumption and the choice, we will go, I will choose, I will do that I can freely travel and trade from one town to another. You see, we don't just presume that we'll wake up and have life. We presume our circumstances will go a certain way and that city will be accessible, that my car will run in the morning, that I will be able to pursue whatever idea I want and nothing will get in the way of it. This is going to smack hard against our 21st century American thinking. But we presume we will always have the choice in front of us. And why wouldn't we? Burger King says I can have it my way. My social media account is about my thoughts, my plans, my selfies. Please, if I take selfies, someone come talk to me. I'm conditioned by a world that constantly reinforces my individualistic bent. But we have to confess this is a godless presumption. And perhaps we don't have the choices that we think we do. We may have educated guesses as to what tomorrow brings, but the reality is we have no idea what our circumstances will be even tomorrow because they can change so quickly in a moment and we may not have the choice. There's a great deal of self-confidence in our presumption. I wonder what kind of presumptions that you and I have been making lately. Perhaps, perhaps, you presume you can get serious about following God later. But kids, will there be a later? You presume on the comforts of retirement. Could that money be lost or taken? You presume kids um, playing sports or working in the summer, maybe? Is that guaranteed? You and I presume on security in a warm home tonight. But how quickly can that be lost? You presume your sin, your, your sin isn't that big of a deal. But whose life can it ruin? You and I presume, we all presume that we have been living biblically. But are we faithful followers of Christ? Are we submitting 
to his word? I think there's a lot of presumption in our life, isn't there? A presumption on time and circumstance and choice. I read an argument from one person that this kind of presumption in our life is really a product of forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. You've forgotten something. I'd like us to also consider this for a moment. As we presume day to day, what potentially are we leaving behind in remembrance of what God has said in his word? It's been suggested that we forget our ignorance. No one thinks they're ignorant. But we have forgotten we are much more ignorant than we realize. As we'll read in a moment, Pastor James charges us with being arrogant in our presumption. And the reality is we don't know as much as we think we know. That meme that you've been watching or posting or retweeting, that's probably not everything. The news that you're watching, the information that you share, the things that you even believe about being a faithful follower of Christ, perhaps, perhaps we are more ignorant than we realize. And us not knowing as much as we think, that's always been the case. However, Many would argue in the last 100 years, our thinking has shifted on this. I read a book about 10 years ago. I, I can't remember the name of the book, but the author's name was Robert McQuilkin. And Robert McQuilkin argued that throughout human history, we have largely held to this concept. We can have a decent grasp. We know what happened in the past. We have some certainty as what's happening now. And we have no idea what's happening in the future. He argues that that's shifted in the last hundred years. And we now operate on this basis. We ignore the past. We say nothing can be truly known in the present. And with certainty, we tell you what will happen in the future. That's a shift. We have forgotten, brothers and sisters, how ignorant we are. But we haven't just forgotten ignorance. We've alluded to this already. We've forgotten our frailty. Much of this has to do with the benefit of the comfortable world we live in today. Everyone here has a phone. And some of these, some of you kids have phones and you probably shouldn't. I'm just saying, parents. We have creature comforts. We live very comfortably right now. Do you know what the average life expectancy is right now? It's 80 years old. Some of you, good job. You made it. You're here. 80 years old. That's a comfortable realization in our world today. Do you know what it was 50 years ago? 70 years. Do you know what it was 50 years before that? 53 years. Do you know what it was 50 years before that? 39 years. And there's a lot of things that contribute to these numbers, and we don't need to get into all of it, but can we admit, can we admit that we live in a time and in a culture that presumes, we presume we will all get old and wrinkly and become lead foot grandma drivers? We presume that. We think it's our right. We think it's guaranteed. We are shocked by death, old and young alike. 
because we have forgotten how fragile life is. But our presumption also forgets our dependence on God. We forget that. We forget that we're dependent on Him. The biblical evidence suggests that God is sovereign. His providence is what guides our hearts and lives. And nothing, nothing can happen outside of His rule and decree. Here's how Ephesians 1.11 puts it. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, all things, according to the counsel of His will. Now, this likely opens many questions in our mind, but what it should first and foremost remind us of is this. We are dependent upon the God of the universe who works all things, not according to our plans and ideas, but the counsel of His will, His plan, His rule, His decree. We are dependent. We've forgotten this. We are dependent for the breath in our lungs, dependent for our children to wake up in the morning, dependent on weather conditions that he chooses to give us, dependent on him to what country we are born into, dependent on every circumstance in our life and the circumstances of lives around us. Self-confidence in verse 13 manifests itself because there is a forgetfulness and a presumption in the heart of the person making the plans. And that is one way. That is one way you and I can choose to live our lives. We can presume on time, on health, on choice. We can forget frailty and ignorance and dependence. That is one way. But James, I, I think he alludes to and shows us a better way. The way that is now summed up, in, consider with me now, the confidence of the Lord. Not confidence in self, confidence in the Lord. Would you read with me 15 through 17? Instead, instead of presuming, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All boasting, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If we follow James' advice and we speak as someone not presuming, and we speak as someone who is not forgetful, we will naturally communicate in our words and our actions and have a posture of our heart that centers itself, not in our confidence and in ourselves and in our plans and scheming, but it centers itself in our confidence on Him. Here's a helpful word I read this week. God created us not just to do things and go places with our bodies, but, but to have certain attitudes and convictions and even verbal descriptions that reflect that truth. A true view of life in God. God means for the truth about himself. 
and about life to be known and felt and spoken as part of our reason for being. You weren't just created to go to Denver and do business. You were made to go to Denver with thoughts and attitudes and words that reflect a right view of God and life. So back to our question. Is making plans evil? Is it wrong to make plans? Isn't it a good thing to make plans and be diligent? Well, yes. Yes, it is. Here's one of my favorite verses that I love to share with my children from time to time. Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her her ways and be wise. Now, I may have called my children ants at times. But there is something about being diligent as a faithful follower. We should be marked by diligence and planning as faithful followers of Christ. And I was even reminded as I read this week that the Bible does commend Moses for planning to lead Israel out of Egypt. God did bless Joshua for planning to lead Israel to the land of Canaan. Paul rightly planned to take the gospel on his three missionary journeys where the good news of Jesus had never been preached. Is planning good? Yes. Yes, it is. But verse 15 adds and qualifies our planning. If the Lord wills. Scholars call it the Jacobean condition. If you remember in James 1, we said uh, James will wonder why you call him James. His real name is Jacob. So when you get to heaven, call him Jacob. And scholars call verse 15 the Jacobean condition. What condition? If. If what? If you feel up to it? If the stars align? If your friends are cool with it? If it benefits you? No, 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 no. The condition is this, if the Lord wills, if he allows it, if he thinks it best, if he ordains for me to be here tomorrow, if he grants me ability and resources, if he protects my family. You see, the condition on whether I will live and do this falls upon the good and wise sovereignty of God in my life. We see the difference immediately, don't we? Planning is not the issue. Self-confidence is the issue. The issue is us saying we are faithful followers of Christ, but functioning in our day-to-day lives as if we are atheists. Guilty. You see, we assign more power to planning than we do to prayer. Why? Because our confidence is misplaced. We fail to truly believe and function and act as Christians who believe this condition. If the Lord wills. We are dependent on Him. We are dependent. Our confidence is in Him. Why? Because if He truly is who He says He is, if He's the creator of the world, if He's the sovereign mover and shaker of all things, 
if the God-man, Jesus, willingly came to live and die on our behalf to give us eternal life. If all this is true, we must trust Him. We must follow Him. If the Scriptures are true, then they are. Then we would categorically be unbelievers to not trust and follow and say, if the Lord wills. Here's something for us to chew on and consider as we live the lives God has given us this week. If my life is a fleeting vapor, a mist, if I can lose it at any moment, that's not the only reason it's, it's a vapor, by the way. It's not just that you can lose it at any moment. It's that even 80, 90, 100 years is nothing in comparison to eternity. If my life is temporary, and if my posture should be dependent, and ultimately my life should reflect what God wants me and allows me and wills me to experience, shouldn't we, as faithful followers of Christ, be making decisions in light of this? And can I just appeal to some of you older brothers and sisters for a second? Can you give us younger people a vision for what it looks like to finish well? To hold your life loosely? Loosely? To say, life is a fleeting vapor, so I'm going to make all my decisions as if this is the last day? As if I'm going to put what's primary and important as first? Older people, will you show that to us? Because the younger generation coming up, they don't just hope to hit 80, 90, and 100 someday. They hope to be faithful now because if the Lord comes tomorrow or he takes us tomorrow, we need faithful examples of older men and women showing us a better way. I say this time and time again, the most important people in the church is not the younger people. It's the older people. Titus 2 says that the older people are to teach and model and equip and encourage the younger. So my older brothers and sisters, will you help us? Will you give us a vision, set an example for what it means to live this out if the Lord wills? Some of us young, punk, young punks are trying to figure it out. But shouldn't we all, as faithful followers of Christ, be making decisions in light of this, of our dependence? Do I base my desires, my choices, and my trust on the biblical reality that life is fleeting? And what really matters is what God wills and wants for my life? Let me ask us a, a few difficult questions, maybe. Do I spend my money on what really matters in light of eternity? My Amazon cart would maybe say no. If life is a mist, do I really care for souls that are separated from Christ? Do I? If you care for souls that are separated, that in one moment could be gone, experiencing eternity without knowing Christ, away from his presence, do you really care for that person if you don't open your mouth and speak? And share Christ. Do I plan? Do I make plans in a way that serves my kingdom or God's kingdom? 
Well, I think the American church uh, answers that question pretty loud and clear because it's always, always 20% of the church doing 80% of the work. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons may be that we're more concerned about planning our own individual lives and comforts rather than serving the people around us. It's possible. Do I put off knowing God intimately because I think I can do it later? Do I plan, strategize, and scheme more than I pray? James says that's arrogance and sin. Do I make my own plans with no consideration of what God thinks? Do I worry and hold on to things? Am I consumed by things that are temporary? Brothers and sisters, there are many things, many circumstances, many relationships, many issues at hand in our day. But I think oftentimes we find ourselves consumed by things that do not really matter in light of eternity. Much of our life is marked by what we've been considering in recent weeks. Much of our lives is marked by worldly wisdom, selfish ambition, and bitter envy. We see in us hearts that are fickle, hypocritical, and far too self-sufficient. Our confidence, my friends, our confidence is misplaced. And so are our affections and plans. Verse 17 pierces the facade of much of our fake Christian lives. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. See, God has been kind to reveal to us in his word and by his spirit what the right thing to do is. Where to place our trust and hope. How to make our plans. How to go to him in everything. And we've neglected it. Too often, I've chosen my own way and my own planning. That's bleak. But have you forgotten verse 6? Did you forget James 4, 6? Maybe your life is marked by self-confidence. Maybe you are scheming more than praying. Maybe you are holding on too tightly to things that don't really matter. Didn't you read verse 6? He gives more grace. He gives more grace. Have you forgotten James 1.18? Of his own will, of his own counsel, of his own planning, of his own ruling and decreeing, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He gave you life, Christian. He gave you a new heart. Not because you modeled the Christian life perfectly, not because you earned your way there, but he gave you those things because you cling to the righteous one. You cling to Jesus who fulfilled James 4 on your behalf. You see, Jesus was never self-confident. Not in a sinful sense. Jesus never presumed on life. He knew life was a fleeting mist and vapor. So as you see your own failing in James 4, look to Christ. 
Look to Christ who fulfilled it on your behalf. Have you forgotten Galatians already? I know it's been a little bit. It's not that long. Galatians, Jesus is enough. Jesus died to save you from the present evil age, even the present evil of self-sufficiency and a lack of dependence on him. Have you forgotten that there is great grace for you in the gospel of Christ? That God is pleased with faithful followers? He opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble, to those who've been self-confident, self-sufficient, presumptuous. He gives grace in Christ. Even in the midst of discipline and correction. James 4 is not meant to beat you over the head. James 4 is meant to drive you to the arms of Christ. May God help us repent and turn from self-confidence and live as those who joyfully rest in the confidence in the Lord. Whether it be in our words, and just so you know, you don't have to say, Honey, I'll be home at dinner time. If the Lord wills, you don't have to say that every single time. She might be like, I get it, I get it. You know, you're a crazy driver, I get it. Whether it's your words, your actions, or just the posture of your heart. Are you saying and living and clinging to, if the Lord wills? If the Lord wills, he will rescue me from sin. If the Lord wills, I will eat lunch this afternoon. If the Lord wills, he will protect me and help my heart run for him, even when I don't feel like it. If the Lord wills, I'm dependent on him. So whether it be our words, the posture of our hearts, or the plans that we make to leverage this life for eternal purposes and not for ourselves, may we always have that Jacobian condition if the Lord wills. Now, you may wonder what happened to Brahim in the desert. Brahim, uh, God changed his heart. He's a prisoner. God saves him. And in 2018, he was released from prison. He shared the gospel with his wife and his children, and they trusted in Christ. He shared the gospel with his extended family and relatives, and many of them trusted in Christ. Rahim now lives in dependence on God daily because he has made it the goal and the prayer of his life to see his people group. Millions of people. His prayer and his goal, his ambitions, and his leading in life is to see his people group hear the gospel and be saved by 2025. His people group spans hundreds of miles in parts of five countries in Western Africa. But how's Brahim doing nowadays? In tandem with two other family members, they have planted 33 churches, 33, 33, and they have seen thousands trust in Christ. The aspiration and the goals of Brahim have certainly changed in these years. But so has also his confidence, his posture, his dependence. He once made plans to live like our individual in James 4.13. No, I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. 
with no consideration of God in his life. But now, now Brahim lives out that condition. If the Lord wills. Because faithful followers of Christ confess we need him. Faithful followers of Christ confess, confess dependence. That's what we do. That's in our DNA. May it be true of our church. Brothers and sisters, that is what we do here when we take communion on a Sunday morning. I'll ask those who are serving communion to come up at this time. But communion is a tangible, physical confession. (laughs) If the Lord wills. The Lord was the one in which he gave us new life in Christ. It's the Lord's will in which he sustains us even now. So what are we remembering as we take a little cracker and drink some juice? We are remembering that the God of the universe came and lived and died on our behalf. And that he gives life and grace to the humble. Communion throughout church history has always been a physical, tangible reminder. People, oftentimes in the church, they had communion every week because they say, I I need something tangible to remind me of God's grace. I need something tangible to remind me that I'm dependent on him. So as you take bread and cup, and reflect on the person and the work of Christ. Don't presume, but remember your dependence, your need of him, and his cleansing grace. This meal is for those who have trusted in Christ. If you are a believer, broken, needy, desperate, needing of reminder and grace, yes, take it. That's God's gift to you. And Paul does tell us in 1 Corinthians 11, if you are a believer, but you have some things in your life you just haven't taken care of. There's unconfessed sin in your life. There's things you need to get right with God. He encourages the church to take care of that and to let this pass. Brothers and sisters, cling to grace right now. Let me pray for our time of reflection before we hand out the elements. Father, that's what we pray right now. That in some mysterious way, you would show us that you are real and powerful, even in the practice of communion. That this wouldn't be merely a remembrance, but that you would show yourself to be with us and for us. God, if we have sin, if we've been far too self-confident, if we have dismissed you, in our planning, if we have relied upon ourselves, would you humble us now? Would communion be the right, timely reminder of what Jesus said? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Father, show us this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.